just back from DevConnect, and there was a, an event called Autonomous World Assembly. And it was a group of people, about 500 people, that are really exploring this idea and the quality of ideas and the different things that people are thinking up of what happens when you build an autonomous world. And by that, I mean a, a game world that lives on a blockchain that isn't owned by anybody and lives forever. And what does that mean? How does What kind of games can we create? What does that look like? And what was so refreshing for me is that there's uh, tons of new ideas. Hey everybody, Tanner here with Wagner Ventures. On today's episode, we have David Amore, co-founder and CEO at Playment. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagner Ventures podcast where we do snapshots with interesting builders, founders, and investors from across Web3. Check out wagnerventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with David at Playment. All right. Hey, everybody. This is the Wagner Ventures Podcast. I'm Tanner, and I'm joined today by David Amore, co-founder and CEO at Playment. David, how are you doing today? Perfect. It's a cold English afternoon. Just back from DevConnect last week. Very good. That's awesome. Well, I'm super excited to chat. I'm grateful you took the time here. And yeah, I know there's a lot of interesting stuff to discuss about Playment. So I'm, I'm pumped to jump in. But before we do that, I'd love to talk about you for a quick second, because you've been in gaming for a long time. And I think I'd love to learn a little bit more about your professional journey, maybe paired with your sort of, maybe we'll call it your blockchain journey. Like, how did you get interested in Web3 while you were working in gaming? Yeah, okay. So my, I've been part of the video game industry for a long time. I joined Electronic Arts in the early 90s, which was NES, Super Nintendo, Genesis, that sort of era. And then so 10 years at publishers and then 10 years running console studios, PlayStation, Xbox, making those kind of games. And then 10 years uh, running uh, mobile free-to-play studios. So I sort of moved around the games industry when there's a sort of new opportunity opportunity and in a sense that's what web3 and blockchain is is to me it's like a new opportunity i've seen over the course of my time in the games industry often there's a new categories of games that can be built with emerging technology and i think it's another example of that so a couple of years ago we decided to throw ourselves into a, a new company building games using blockchain and we asked ourselves what new kind of games we could use we could build using blockchain as a technology very cool okay so tell me about playment what is playment and what does playment maybe enable for players that isn't available elsewhere on that kind of new inflection point you've described yeah good question when we started the company a question we asked ourselves is what new things can you do what what and i don't certainly you can look at blockchain as a way of financializing game assets and that's what i think probably the majority of people are doing with blockchain in the video game industry. We want to take that idea a bit further and look into other ideas about decentralization, interoperability, composability. And I don't think it ends there. I think it's a really interesting technology. And we're trying to push ourselves to say, what are the affordances of blockchain in video games? And exploring some of the more out there ideas Maybe you could say that it was on the on the fringes of what's possible in when you combine blockchain and, and video games. Very cool. Yeah, I've had the chance to interview a few folks at this Web3 and gaming intersection. And it does seem like the financialization of, of the gaming assets does seem like a big piece of how a lot of people do approach this. So I'm really curious to hear more about how you guys are doing things differently. But I'm curious here at the start, before we dig too much in, how do you and your team think about what makes a great game? Like what factors aren't obvious to people that your team considers important in terms of maybe gameplay or story, et cetera, more classic game components? 
Yeah, games is such a wide gamut and fun is something that's kind of hard to pin down. So I think in a way it's hard to generalize, but I, I look at things that people want to come back to the next day, something that's engaging, but but that can take all, all sorts of forms. Like sometimes it's because you're part of the community. Sometimes it's just because the core mechanic is so much fun and, and often a combination. Sometimes it's about the business model. So I, I think it, there's no cookie cutter solution as to what makes a, a, a good game. But I think if you, as I say, with the whole company is from the games industry. So we, I guess we lean on things that we've seen that work before, uh, game mechanics that work before. And to be clear, we're not trying to reinvent video games here. We're saying, okay, well, the, these are video games that we know work. These are mechanics that work. How can we augment them with new technology? So I don't think we have a one-fits-all approach to building games. But I suppose collectively, we probably made two, 300 games between us. And therefore, we lean on what we've seen work, either in games that we've played or games that we've built. Yeah, super interesting. I, I can totally imagine it's way more art than science, but the deep experience surely helps. You know it when you see it and also filtering what ideas maybe intuitively make sense and just intuitively don't make sense given totally. sort of technological possibilities. Yeah. And there's also, so there's what works from game mechanics point of view and what we think would make a fun game, but there's also the production process, like how best you get there. Like it's often a mistake to try and make a very big game, assuming that you've got all those answers worked out and it's better to iterate and then test it and iterate and test it. So some of it is about games that you've made before and game mechanics that worked. Some of it is just how you approach making games in the first place. Very cool. Okay. So I read elsewhere, Playmate has this emphasis on, I, I think the quote was something like, creating a game world that lives forever and emphasizes digital ownership and composability, end quote. And I'm, I'm curious for you specifically, like what, what for you is attractive about that vision and, and how is it maybe distinct from the play to earn idea that I think captured a lot of studios' attention the past few years, especially here in the Web3 gaming world, right? Yeah, the, I talk about what's come before, which as you say, is almost like the financialization of games, the idea that a game asset that you own can be resold, that inherently has some form of speculation inside it. I think it's a valid idea. That's not really where we've gone. I'm more interested in a couple of other affordances so that you've touched on there. One is, can we build a game that lives forever and isn't owned anybody? So my example is Bitcoin, which obviously is a currency that lives forever without an owner. It's a system that just carries on going without any sort of god managing that world can we do the same thing with a game can we create a game world that people can take part in that isn't actually owned by anybody isn't managed by anybody just continues to exist so that's an interesting new idea for the games industry i guess if you compare it with something like world of warcraft which is owned and operated by blizzard and they do a great job of managing that world but i think a different approach would be to create a game world and then cut the umbilical cord and let that live forever without any form of ownership or any sort of management or curation of that world. So that's one interesting idea. Uh, another one is this one around composability. So in that game world, can we create a game where it's possible for the people playing that game to extend it by in code and adding new functionality? So it's not only a game world that lives forever without an owner, but it's also a game world that can be extended by the people playing it. 
so it doesn't st just like our human world it doesn't stay the same for any length of time people add things and it changes the shape of it and changes the way you play it so I think those are two interesting ideas that are new to the games industry. We've seen them in some form, obviously, user-generated content has been a big story in, in games like Roblox, but you still have this idea of an owner of, of Roblox that's curating the content. And it's lots of pocket, lots of separate games. We're interested in creating one game world without an owner where the players can extend what that game is. Very cool. Okay. It, it reminds me almost of that quote from Balaji Srinivasan about how Satoshi gave us uh, a cloud without corporations, right? And that's that was the initial sort of genesis of of this space. And I I think it's, it resonates a lot with what you're saying you want to apply to the gaming world. So I think that's really an interesting kind of authentic expression of of this space. Hey everybody, quick thing here. We're excited to announce Wagney Advisory, your home for all things fundraising, hiring, and partnerships. This is all about supercharging your project with the Wagney Network consisting of over 20,000 executives, investors, and builders in crypto, all ready to come alongside your project to help it succeed. Get in touch at team at wagneyventures.io to learn more and figure out if Wagney Advisory is the right fit for your project. Now, let's get back to the show. You know, one recurring question I have on this podcast is always trying to go back to the beginning when maybe Playment first started and, and asking like, what were, what were some of the early challenges back then? And how did you and your team first solve for those early challenges that often define possibilities and what can happen going forward? Yeah, I, I, something that happened when I moved from PlayStation, making PlayStation games to making iPhone games was that I made a big mistake, uh, biggest mistake of my career, that I tried to take PlayStation games and squeeze them into an iPhone, assuming that these high production value games are the, exactly the kind of game that people want to play on their phone. And of course, they're not looking to play the, that's, they're more interested in playing Candy Crush and Clash of Clans and those kind of games. So we made a, and, and that was a mistake when I'd done that previously, where I just assumed that we've got this new medium and therefore we should just move our, the games we were making before to the new medium. I think that's a mistake. So when setting up Playmint, what we decided to do was deliberately push ourselves out of our comfort zone. So we built a game based, in, based on Loot, which is an NFT set that we didn't create, but we uh, built a game around it and we built it fully on chain. It ran on Ethereum. And we had to write it in Solidity. We had to learn about gas optimization. And it really forced us to understand a set of things that we didn't come across in making a PlayStation game or a mobile game. So it was something of a proof of concept that actually worked really well, but it was very deliberate to push ourselves out of our comfort zone and learn a set of things that we hadn't had experience of before. Very cool. Okay. So I'm curious to another sort of recurring question in this podcast that that pops in here and there is if those were early challenges and how that worked. I'm curious about early surprises too. So challenges might be sort of the the negative surprise version, but I'm, I'm curious positive surprises, like things that have turned out in your favor that you weren't expecting. Maybe you could talk a little bit about yeah, those. Yeah, okay, I've got a specific example of that. So the game I just mentioned was called The Crypt and we we set it in chapters and the, the idea is you had to collaborate with other people that had the loot nft and if you had the right combination of loot bags then you can beat our dungeon that was a game game mechanic there and as i said it was something of a proof of concept to learn stuff that we didn't know already and i think i can't remember if it's the second or the third 
but somebody created code that sort of connected to our game and found optimal strategies of winning that game. And at first we thought it was a disaster because somebody had now amended our game and found optimal strategies. And the, the humans that were playing it were up in arms and saying, oh, well, somebody's created this. But it became the most interesting thing about that game. And I think that's really helped us realize, oh, this, this is something new here. This is a game that can evolve as people stick things on the side of it. Now, I don't think that we would have learned that had we just taken our PlayStation games and moved them over to add a block, some kind of blockchain element by forcing us all the way to the edge there and building fully on chain and allowing permissionless composability by doing so then it's unlocked this new thing that we'd never even considered before, which is like an evolving game as people permissionlessly extend it. So that was a nice surprise and then ended up being a fundamental part of uh, our new game downstream. Very cool. So I'd love to talk about downstream here in just a moment, but I'm curious, maybe just a, a quick zoom out question here where mm -hmm. I'm curious from your vantage point, where is, where is gaming going and maybe games built on the blockchain specifically with all the unique unlocks enabled there? So maybe like three to five year timeline, if you can really put on your speculation hat here, what changes can gamers expect, developers, gaming companies, et cetera? It's difficult crystal ball, isn't it? What, what I've noticed in the last couple of years, I think this is true, is that perhaps the way that games are using blockchain goes one side or the other. And by that, you've seen games that sort of bury the blockchain element. So if you look, you will notice that the your game assets as a player are held on a blockchain, which means that the ownership is clear and you can buy and sell them as you wish. And it has those NFT elements, but the game is not marketed and the game is not, it doesn't put that stuff on the front and it buries it inside. And then down the other end, which is where we are, which is this going down a dark corridor and trying to consider new games that just would not be possible unless you use decentralized technologies. And I think maybe some of the things that fell between the two have proved to be less interesting. So I think more traditional games using blockchain as a type of financialization or a way of storing digital assets on one side, and then a group of people trying to do weird new things using decentralization technologies down the end, less in the middle. So I'm predicting that it continues to go that way. Very cool. Super interesting. So I'm, I'm curious about downstream. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are creating there and how that's all, how that's all going, how that's looked so far? Yeah, so it's a fully on-chain MMO. But lots of people sharing a map together, exploring the map, trading with each other, fighting monsters together. It's a very simple aesthetic. It's just hexagons on a map that you're exploring. So I suppose if you're, you know, Minecraft was not a high fidelity game. And similarly, this isn't a high fidelity game. But what it does is introduce this new idea of well, the fact that the game world lives forever because it sits on a decentralized blockchain has no AWS component. There's nothing centralized about it at all. So it has this attribute where of hardness, I think it's described. And then you have this other uh, concept, which is like in this world, you can create functionality for other players to experience. So if you think the game is missing something or you think you can get a sort of gameplay edge by adding a new feature to the game, then you have the ability to do that because the game is running on chain. Very cool. Okay. 
So I'm curious, both for downstream and maybe also for Playmint, like personally for you, what's got you most excited for the future of Playmint and the future of downstream? If everything continues to go well, what directions have you most excited to continue pursuing and exploring? Yeah, I'm going to zoom out a bit on that. And, and, and I mentioned on the, uh, earlier that uh, I'm just back from DevConnect and there was a, an event called Autonomous World Assembly. And it was a group of people, about 500 people, that are really exploring this idea and the quality of ideas and the different things that people are thinking up of what happens when you build an autonomous world. And by that, a, a game world that lives on a blockchain that isn't owned by anybody and lives forever. And what does that mean? How does what kind of games can we create? What does that look like? And what was so refreshing for me is that there's a tons of new ideas. Not just I don't not I don't just mean for blockchain in the games industry, for the games industry, and in general the games industry I feel like for the last ten years atypically there hasn't been any big breakthroughs. Like the last was maybe user generated content and obviously the app store two big ideas that were important for the games industry. Normally, I see those come around every five years or so, but there hasn't been a lot of new ideas in the last 10 years. And and so when I go to an event like that and talk with other people building fully on-chain games on autonomous worlds, there's just a great set of fresh ideas that, that give me confidence that this is something interesting. Love it. Okay. That must be great validation that something you've been pioneering has attracted the attention on a big enough scale to to warrant having these conversations publicly and more collaboratively too. Yeah, I, I would add to that, that I think when we started doing this two years ago, then we weren't great at explaining why you would want to build a game fully on chain. It was just like, here's an idea. I think you can just about do it technically, but we weren't good at explaining why and I don't think we even knew exactly what all the affordances were and certainly when we were speaking to people about the fact we were doing it we just were met with quizzical looks why would you want to do that what's the point and and I think that I've noticed certainly in the last year that it's becoming an area that's increasingly interesting for people partly because we got better at explaining why we think that's interesting so I'm certainly seeing a trend of fully on-chain games becoming interesting to people very cool okay So maybe a couple last questions here for you, David. I'm curious, how do you think about this current moment for the blockchain gaming space, maybe in terms of adoption or kind of this conversation of whether we're we're approaching an inflection point? I think it's something that, especially given how the past two years have shaken out in the broader Web3 space, I think it's something that is always in a live conversation for people and a, a live curiosity. But I'm curious your take on that. Yeah, and I've talked about a lot of positive things. I think the reality is that there isn't a lot of product market fit. The video game industry is $200 billion a year, and I doubt that blockchain games any more than a billion. So we're a very tiny proportion of the games industry. And truthfully, I think we saw a lot of excitement about using blockchain in games a couple of years ago. There was a lot of investment interest, and I think it hasn't, the, the, the hordes of gamers haven't arrived. And you can argue that uh, the games aren't accomplished enough, or you can say that the the ideas aren't strong enough to attract the the players. But the reality is, whichever that is, it isn't a large part of the games industry right now. So it would be true to say this is unproven. So I think there's really interesting ideas, but to date at least, we haven't seen wide widespread adoption of 
games that use blockchain. And indeed, ideas that seemed interesting a couple of years ago, like play to earn, have proven not to be sustainable. And so certainly the initial version of those kind of games hasn't gone the distance. So I think there's a long way to go in terms of finding an audience for these kind of games. Yeah, yeah, that's a great perspective, just to have a little bit of perspective on on the moment and the market. Maybe in that same vein, I'm, I'm curious any advice you might have for other founders that are building maybe a little sooner in their journey or earlier in their journey, but for other founders building in the Web3 gaming space, anything you might want to impart that would have been valuable to yourself even at the start yeah. of your journey? I suppose I would go back to that point, which is that I think it, ask if you're building something that's really net new. And you, it, if you're just building video games that don't really use blockchain in an interesting way, then why is a gamer going to care? Or why is anybody going to care? So if it if you're, it's very hard to build a video game. You need a lot of money. You need a lot of experience. And even people that are good at it get it wrong a lot. So if it's just another game that happens to use blockchain in a in a credible but not particularly interesting way, then that's probably not going to be enough. Anybody starting, I'd encourage them to go a little bit further, be more radical with the ideas, because a lot of what I'm seeing at the moment is just games that we've already seen before, but with a very small blockchain element. Yeah, I think that's great advice. It sounds like almost the advice would be, you know, could be summed up as if you're going to do something new, make sure it's actually very new. There's, yeah, there's probably I, I, not great rewards to being on the frontier unless you're doing frontier pioneering things. For Exactly. And for, for a couple of reasons, I think one is that it's, it's very noisy. There's you know millions of games out there. So you really need to find a reason to stand out. And it's not down to fidelity. You know, I'll go back to Minecraft. That's not a high fidelity game. That's not the production values aren't that high, but they just had a really interesting idea that people understood and got on board with. So, so I think it's important to have something that really sticks out. And the other thing is that there's just a lot of cynicism around blockchain. I think that, in a sense, blockchain has been corrupted by capitalism as far as the first use case of blockchains is crypto. And, and a lot of people have an opinionated view on that. And therefore, you've got to, if you're saying my game uses blockchain, then you've got to work against the fact that some, a lot of people don't like the, thinking that that's probably got something to do with crypto and they've decided they don't like crypto. So certainly there's a lot of cynicism about how blockchain is being used in the games industry that you have to work around. Yeah, I appreciate that realistic perspective of just given, especially again, like the, the events of the past couple of years, I think that's had a lot, that's done a lot to influence how people view all these decentralized technologies as potentially just all speculative speculative mechanics and that being the sum and full story of what is possible. And so it makes sense that you would maybe need to push back against that if that's what people are framing it as. Yeah. And to some degree they are. And quite rightly, we can all point to games that have used this in an uninteresting and pontonomics, those, those sorts of things that haven't done, haven't done the optics of blockchain in games or all that much good. So yeah, there's certainly some work to do there. I think a friend pointed this out, that it would be a real shame if, to me, there's something really interesting you can do with uh, decentralized technologies like blockchain. It'd be a shame if we didn't really get to explore those because we were so focused on what crypto adds to, to games or what crypto adds full stop. For us at Playment, we're, 
we're leaving that to one side and instead focusing on a set of things that that you couldn't do without the blockchain that aren't anything to do with crypto. I think that's a more interesting place for it to go. Yeah, I love that. Okay, David, maybe one last question here for you. We've talked about downstream, but I'm curious, what's your team working on right now? And what's the best way for people to follow along on the journey? Uh, well, we're sort of knee deep in downstream, and it's a combination of game design and technology, trying to build a game that uh, runs on a blockchain in a snappy way. Uh, is There's some really impressive technical tricks that we're doing, infra tricks to, to get that done. So it's a Herculean technical effort combined with a Herculean game design effort. But so, that, yeah, that's certainly keeping us busy. As to where to find us, we're, we're on Twitter. You can find us there. And playmint.com has a link to our Discord. We're building in the open. Everything's open source. And always happy to talk to people interested about what we're doing. Perfect. David, thank you so much for the time. Super interesting what you guys are working on. I'm excited to follow along myself and uh, hope your upcoming weekend is a good one. Thanks a lot, Tanner. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and maybe give us a good five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts so you can get all the latest conversations with the most interesting crypto founders, investors, and builders from across the world. Thanks so much. Have a good one.